welcome to the Scottish podcast by Scottish people about Scottish things. We're three lifelong friends and displaced Scotsmen who get together to talk about our homeland, the weird stuff that happens there, and to remind us why we are the way we are. Welcome to This'll Do Nicely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's story with Rory. I am Rory, and I am joined by my two energetic fist pumping party friends jonathan and christopher how are you boys doing i am doing well rory i'm doing well always good to see the two of you (laughs) um first time that we've all seen each other uh are each other's faces since last week yeah uh all three of us (laughs) yeah um yeah i what did you two guys get up to last night? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, wow. I mean, Johnny and I had a lovely evening together on his rooftop. Um, what, I'm amazed oh, you weren't there, okay. Chris. Like, what, why? You were invited. You what with us being up? like lifelong friends, you'd think the three of us would hang out. So yeah. why didn't you? We were ready to come? do a live episode okay. together and you yeah. just didn't show. Wednesdays are our normal recording night. So where were you? Yeah. I didn't you guys cancel the recording like <laughs> about 20 seconds before I was sitting here for an hour just going through my bit and you two guys are getting drunk on a rooftop somewhere talking about fireworks it's not even July 4th yet it's, I mean it's close enough it's close enough the fireworks have started did Gary not send you the email about moving the recording to Johnny's rooftop Hang on, what number does Gary have for me? Because I'm now on 646. <laughs> uh, yeah, Soz. We've just gone by your previous episodes where we thought you could really do with an extra day of research, given that mostly you show up having not Whoa. done it. <laughs> Whoa. You're not wrong, Johnny. You're not wrong. This is, like I mean... It's for the readers. Is, re- is research ever really done? I mean, no. God knows those people that have been researching COVID are still uh, <laughs> winging it. Jail Fauci. Put him in jail. He's a liar. What did Fauci know? What did Fauci know and when did he know it? <laughs> yeah, so today's episode is actually going to be... Uh, did we, we... We moved away from taking the piss with Chris, didn't we? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> we've not actually, said that in a while. That's... I know. Yeah. It's going to be. Yeah. I don't think we ever settled on anything else. No, but it, it's it's not a story with Rory. It's a story with Christopher today, which I'm very excited about. It always always makes me happy when I don't have to do the research. Um. So yeah, I mean, look, Chris, take over. Go for it. This is this is your show today. What do you want to say to people? <laughs> you you got really. I mean the. The readers can't see it, but you've got quite a worried-looking face on at the moment. <laughs> I thought that was that was next week. Ooh, isn't this the no. isn't this the Jacobite? Isn't this Jacobite Rebellion? Yeah, well, Johnny said he was going to do the Jacobite Rebellion. No, Sally's doing oh that one. <laughs> oh, oh, I am sweating, sweating bullets right now. <laughs> no, and uh, before I dive in. I would just like to uh, do one of our disclosures. Uh, <laughs> which I'm done for a little while, um, and this is this is going to have to get its own segment soon. I think we can call it "So Sally Can Say." That's an excellent name. Mia Kalpa. Last week, I you Rory asked if Scotland has any Olympians coming up, and I quite confidently said <laughs> yes. Uh, we've got this swimmer Adam Peaty, uh, who is a champion swimmer. 
It turns out I was I completely made a Charles Darwin of myself, <laughs> and um, and and that's not true. Adam Peaty is English. Uh, he just the reason I got confused is apparently he came to prominence during the Commonwealth Games, uh, which I think was being held in Glasgow. Although now I say that it was probably being held in like <laughs> South Africa, uh, for all I know, and I've just got that wrong as well. Um, so no, Sally was very upset uh, that I got that wrong because uh, swimming is her thing. Yeah, she says he rose prominence in the games, and then she also, to add insult to injury, said that we do have a Scottish swimmer, some guy <laughs> called Duncan Scott. Uh, so wow, I mean, know. his list, Look, last name is literally Scott, and you you, you didn't realize <sighs> he was Scottish. Look, I am not paid money um the bags and bags of sponsorship money that we get to know about swimming okay that's not my thing um and yeah i messed up all right i cocked up i'm um, on uh, on your behalf i'm desperately googling adam I know. Family, in the back, trying to find any connection to scotland to see, in the background can i can i real quick do a dna test on adam pt find out if he's 60 percent scottish yeah you can uh, dive into the gene pool <laughs> if you will oh hello <laughs> yeah yeah but it's good that we've got our own fact checking uh organization thanks, now uh so thanks for that sally apologies that i got that wrong and continue to get stuff wrong every week really my education clearly was nowhere near as good as i thought it was <laughs> um but anyway on with the show so this week we are talking about uh craig ferguson who's probably more famous over in america than he yeah. is in the, in the UK, and, and he himself admits that, but he tells a story, aside from the chronic alcoholism and uh, drug uh, abuse, <laughs> um, it, very similar to our own, guys, because he is a Glaswegian, uh, born and bred, but he moved to America, and he always wanted to move to America, has always had a kind of thing about it, and, and successfully went there, and yeah. made it there, and, and he's made a family there. And I got I got to say, guys, I, I spent most of the week listening to his book, and there's a few moments there that, that touched me in the book. I was like, oh, I, I, I know exactly where he's coming from. Usually when he uh, had urinated on a, on a mattress <laughs> after missing uh, Christmas with his parents because he drank too much the night before, oh, which I've done three, really or, this, three or four the, times. I, I, he's oh, a full-on oh. American now, right? He's a, he's a, he's American a full-on citizen. American citizen now, yes. Are you t- are you two? Um, I know you two guys are both here illegally. Uh, your tourist visa <laughs> ran out a long time ago, and you just work cash in hand for those the just Irish bars. All that of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. <laughs> but do you, um, after you guys sort your um, visa issues uh, and you're you know managed to, when was the last time you both left the country? Actually, are you was that many years ago? <laughs> what is this? That? This is an interrogation. Is this, or like, are what? you working Nothing. for ICE these days? This is yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, do you have any aspirations to be an American citizen? I didn't for a long time. I so I'm on a green. Well, we're all on green cards, I guess. Um, wait, right. Chris, are green you? Card. This are you is, gonna, yeah. you're this not is a fine. citizen yet, yeah. right? This is fine. We've got. Remember that guy that emailed us very early on. <laughs> I, I apologize, I've forgotten your name, but he was like a visa lawyer. So we're we're <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we're covered. Sorted. That's fine. Yeah. Okay, I can say what one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't for a long time. I find it hard to imagine really being a citizen, but it, it does appeal to me more, maybe more for like the practical reasons. Like it being, at the moment, it's like if you leave, you're kind of leaving and you can't necessarily come back. Whereas like it, it, there's something quite appealing about being able to live in both countries and that's kind of cool. But 
it's it's the moments of you know it's funny because like we when you move abroad like you're sort of defined by the place you came from a lot of the time like we are sort of described as being very scottish and so like the idea of kind of officially being an american is quite a fun like odd thing in that context don't you think well i don't think you have to give up your scottishness no you can have both i think you can uh you can do both quite successfully but so you're saying if you did it you'd want to just quit cold turkey quit scottish cold turkey and just <laughs> no i don't want to know, leave it behind don your don your fanny pack and uh <laughs> get on that baseball cap and start hitting start hitting baseballs off a jet ski uh yeah. off of um, just grand slams and then fireworks going that. off in the background yeah eat some hot dogs and uh go to war that's what the ceremony is like right you pledge allegiance and then the fireworks go off yeah, yep. yeah. exactly you get your eagle tattoo and, in your face and if 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 you kneel if you kneel on that goddamn flag, you are <laughs> you are toast. I mean you're allowed to wear the flag as a singlet or a pair of shorts <laughs> or as a bandana, but my god, if it's flying and you kneel anywhere near it. What about like an American flag as a kilt? Is that allowed? Are you wearing are you wearing underwear under it? Because then that's sort of desecrating. No underwear. That is an excellent uh, idea for thistle do nicely merch an american right? flag kilt yeah 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 Oof. i guess that's a good question maybe our readers could uh, answer that for us uh, for our anniversary episode if you wear a kilt that's made out of an american flag and you're not wearing any underwear under it is that desecration or is it the highest honor you can possibly i'd say it's like quite um respectful in a way because so we're considering it alongside our national um outfit it's about as close to the flag as you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> or the flag mast. Yeah. Anyway, um, I should I dive into the background of Mr. Ferguson? Yeah. I I just want to say one of the things, I did see a clip recently, like today, and I he stood there and said he was, he was talking about his contradictions that he, not his contradictions, but how he would define himself. And he's like, well... I've written some books, but I'm not a writer. I've done some stand-up, but I'm not a comedian. I've made some films, but I'm not a filmmaker. But he also said, I'm an American, but I live in Scotland. Which really threw me when he said that, because I thought... Doesn't he he live here? I thought he lives in like LA or something. I thought he lived in Los Angeles. I believe... Well, this might be older, but he did did at some point live with... like When after being famous, after leaving the Late Show, he lived in Scotland for a bit. He'd moved back there, and uh, he might be back in LA now. I thought that was odd because I thought he I was... think he goes. I think he goes back and forth an awful lot. Yeah. from what I can tell. Um, but it seems like uh, he does class himself as American now. But and then he does. You know, he does. He says, "Well, his book is American on purpose," and uh, he says that um, Scotland made Scotland. What was it? The, the phrase was Scotland made him who he was, but America allowed him to be. That man, basically, or something. I've completely butchered that, but <laughs> I Scot- kind of get yeah. what you're saying. Scotland made him the man he was, and America then allowed him to be the man, be that man he made. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so you're classically classically trained, like you, you got like higher education, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> after after the Adam PT disgrace, I'm questioning everything right now. <laughs> strong, strong start. Just persevere. It's going to be okay. Um. No one actually knows how Craig Ferguson was uh, born, uh, and no one knows his origin story, but uh, some stories say that Ferguson was born 
in Springburn in Glasgow to uh, Robert and Janet Ferguson in 1962. He explains in his book that he then moved to Cumbernauld when he was six months old. I didn't know this. You learn something new every uh, every week on this podcast. Cumbernauld was one of uh, three towns that was created basically in the aftermath of the war um, because Glasgow had the shit bombed out of it by the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of poverty in Glasgow and, you know, there was all the buildings had been blown to smithereens. So in the aftermath of the war... Scotland created the towns of Cumbernauld, East Kilbride, and Livingston, and basically kind of plopped a whole bunch of populations there. Um, I always knew that East Kilbride was a relatively new town, but I I didn't realize that that was kind of why those three towns had kind of come to be. Um, So, yeah, that's... uh, that's. Not, I used to. So that was an interesting. I used to swim every bit. week in Cumbernauld, so I I eventually got the history of it from people who lived there. I I got I got told that story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Johnny, did you know that? I didn't. So thank you for um, enlightening me. Thanks very much, Johnny. It's nice. It's nice to at least have <laughs> some sort of appreciation for the work I do. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> He then did a great job, Chris. <laughs> As he then tells it, he grew up in Cumbernauld, uh, chubby and bullied. Which again, um, I mean, I can certainly attest to the growing up uh, chubby part of it. it. So uh, you know, I feel all, for him there. It all makes sense now. Yeah, and he says he never really cared for school uh, because of the corporal punishment aspect of it, and you can tell in his book that he clearly still vividly remembers the teachers that belted him back in the day. And he like names a whole bunch of them and he just has nothing. He like can, he can even remember the sort of how hard each teacher hit him. Jesus. Um, and you, you know, the, the, his, he's got, he's got a big brother and sister who would kind of fill his head with, uh, before he went to high school of, you know, um, what was it? There was one, one teacher who who belted someone so hard that they got put in the hospital and they and they were like oh my god i can't believe i'm going doing this because uh, that's what big brothers and sisters do they yeah. uh, just fill your head with nonsense and scare you so he left school at age 16 and uh he began an apprenticeship to be an electronics technician so not you know the most exciting start to his life but he so he first visited the u.s though in 1975 when he was 13 uh, and that was to visit his uncle james Back in 1975, this sounds fantastic, but there was these dirt cheap planes um, from that flew uh, from Presswick Airport to JFK for hardly anything. Um, it was something like a pound or something ludicrous like that. Uh, they were called Laker planes. And actually, funnily enough, I've, I was on one of those planes. Um, really? One year we went to, not in the 70s obviously, but in... The 1990s, they were kind of like a charter flight, and I and we went on this plane. I think from Boston to Boston, and um, the plane there was fine, but the plane back, <laughs> we got delayed by 12 hours, and there was something wrong with the plane, and we had to stay in a hotel in the um, in in the airport, and um, the plane was leaking on the way back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was there was water coming in the windows. Uh, so I think these were kind of already back then in the seventies, they were sort of, um, what do you call it? Recommissioned, uh, war planes or something like that. Passenger planes. And clearly we got them at the end of the, the, the very end of their run. Um, 
can't believe we didn't Jesus. we didn't crash. I mean, yeah. it was it was pretty grim. So anyway, back in the seventies, very exciting that he went there to visit his uncle James, who had what his grandmother would call a quote blowjob haircut, which I thought was <laughs> a brilliant phrase wow. for. I I don't know I mean, what that even means. Um, does that mean you give them? Do you get them? I I mean, what you, I I guess it's just like a greaser haircut or something. Like I that. would say I, I just don't know. I would say in a complimentary way that you have a blowjob haircut. I mean, can you take it as any other way than a comp- as a compliment? I don't think so. I think that's the best way to take it. Yeah. And it's, it's... You imagine saying that in a very Glaswegian accent as well, like Granny. <laughs> like, He's got a blowjob haircut. <laughs> but that's like back in the day when they would have all these weird euphemisms for like, Oh, he's a little bit light, light in the loafers and stuff like that. You're like, well, what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> maybe, maybe blowjob. If it actually just means literally, you're getting a blow dried hair, and it's like a sort of greaser Fonzie look. Yeah. And maybe we've just taken exactly. it to that dirty level. Um, who knows? Oh yeah, he got a, um, a, a blowout. The the job that was done on his hair was it was blow dried. Yeah, yeah, potentially yes. as it. opposed to being fellated for having a nice haircut. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, so he, so basically he goes to Long Island and he loves it. And it's, you know, back in the day in the seventies, uh, they've got the white picket fences and stuff like that. And they're all tanned and healthy. And he just falls in love with the place. And he gets to go to junior high school uh, for uh, show and tell, but he's the show and tell. Um, and as he, as he describes it, a fleshy out of towner, um, who he is very popular with the ladies at that point, because he's got the Scottish accent, which again is something, you know, you and me especially can attest to having, uh, shacked up with American girls who, you know, if they understood everything that we said, probably, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have stuck around with us. We would have been slapped both times. Both, both lucked out massively. Um, How old is he at this point? This is early. He's a teenager. He's like 13 at this point. So this is just like a three-week visit. Um, But it kind of forms, you know, his life's mission to then get back to America. I get that. Like, I I relate to that. I I, I came here for my first time when I was 18 years old. Um, I visited a then-girlfriend in Boston. And then we came to New York for literally the day. And I remember just being like, this is where I'm going to live. Like this, I'm going to, I'm going yeah. to live here at some point in my life. So I, I totally yeah, he said that. He says the same thing. He went, he went to New York City for the day, I think with his dad, and said it was a complete mind fuck. That was his quote. Yeah. And, uh, and love at first sight. And you went, you know, during the sanitized New York periods when you were 18. But can you imagine a 13 year old being in, New York in the 1970s when it was just uh, the Wild West, basically. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he, he fell he fell in love with it. Times Square was just knee deep with sex workers, uh, <laughs> full of people with blowjob haircuts. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so to wrap up his um, his tr- first trip to New York, he went to his first ever rock concert which was the Blue Oyster Cult at Nassau Coliseum, oh, wow. which I think is a much cooler first concert that I went to as a teenager. I don't know if you guys can remember <laughs> yours, but mine was uh, mine was Limp Biscuit. Oh, um, man. 
just round about the time the Rolling album came out uh, at the SECC in Glasgow. I mean, wow. I think Blue Oyster yes. Cult probably probably has that beat. Well, what about you two? Can you remember the first one you guys went to with without adult supervision? Well, I, I mentioned it in the last episode. Like, obviously, I've been to a lot of oh, Blue concerts again. over the years, but the, oh, yeah. Here we go. so that oh, that yeah. doesn't really count. But like the the one I went to sort of on my own first was Ocean Color Scene. Do you remember that band? Oh wow, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, I, I guess that counts as a relatively cool band to go to, I it think. It was okay. It was quite a 90s. fun gig. Yeah. I, I remember it very vividly because I went with our mate Duffy uh, yeah. many years ago. And I think partly because I sort of knew a bit about how concerts go. I remember laughing because like, they sort of finished and he, he just got up and like went to leave. <laughs> like He literally just got out of his seat and like went left. <laughs> and I was like, duffy. where are you going? They're like, come, I think they're going to come back for a little more. He was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> right, done. Yeah, okay, going home." I do, I think <laughs> I think mine might have been Green Day, because I think I was uh, a little bit okay. later, so I I think I ended up doing quite well. I think it was Green Day Warning, their Warning album. That's their, not bad. Yeah, that's not that's not a bad one to go yeah. to. Yeah. So I think we can all agree wholeheartedly that mine was the least cool uh, one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've seen Limbiscuit uh, live. That was an accident, but I saw them live, and it was incredible <laughs> when they did Rolling. How How did you see them live? Uh, accidentally live? Oh, I mean, I I bought tickets for somebody thinking that it was another band. I don't know which band I thought I was buying <laughs> tickets for, and then we were literally sitting down, and then Fred Durst walked on the stage. I was like, oh. Oh, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess we're here now. <laughs> Keep rolling, rolling, rolling. So I'm racking my brain for a band that sounds like Limp Bizkit, but I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. Sometimes I don't pay attention. So the, I had a similar incident when Elizabeth. <laughs> Were you trying to see tickets? <laughs> no, I was trying to see. I was trying. No, he's talking about that was, a, that was a Limp Bizkit that joke. That was an Chris. excellent joke. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, I was no, actually no, I wasn't. Uh. Soggy bread. I wasn't listening. Uh yeah. Uh no, I was supposed to see the uh she she got tickets thinking that we were going to see Tim Minchin at the comedy store and he uh he was literally playing at the earlier show uh as opposed to like the 9:30 show or something. It's just a wow. Wow. It's a real blow. Anyway, um it's probably going to be a short episode this one, right? so he smoked his first doobie at the uh blue oyster cult uh which kind of sets up uh, his early years in that he had this moment where he decided to dedicate his life to rock and roll and drugs basically and uh and and drinking um which he proved uh very successful at so he left school at age 16 his parents were particularly horrified because his big brother and sister went to university but he he just didn't care for it it was um it just didn't work and he met his first girlfriend uh, Jillian uh who kind of got him off the drugs but she tolerated the booze <laughs> I think because he said basically that alcohol has the historical advantage there uh when it comes to <laughs> sort of being Scottish and you know I think his girlfriend was a I think she was the one that was a Highlander uh so tolerated that seeing as Highlanders are um you know pretty into their whiskey yeah um so this is uh this is he starts getting into the rock and roll stuff here and he 
goes to this concert watching this band that was once called the Bastards from Hell. Uh, but then at that point they were called the Dream Boys. And <laughs> they, the lead singer at the time was Peter Capaldi, which oh, is wow. a name that oh, wow. I'm sure you both recognize for those uh, who are in the know. Peter Capaldi most famously, I suppose, was, is doc, was Doctor Who. not um, The Doctor the, in Doctor Who. The Doctor in Doctor Who, not the current one. Uh, the, I think he was the last one, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't really watch Doctor Who. But um, also he was in the thick of it playing one of the greatest characters of all time, Malcolm Tucker. Um, and I believe he's in the new Suicide Squad film yes, coming right, out as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's been in a bunch of stuff. But back in the day, he was the lead singer for this band, the Dream Boys. I had no idea. Yeah. and um, I also love, says, sorry, I love that their name went from the Dream Boys to the Bastards from Hell. <laughs> like, that's incredible. Yeah. What a progression. That's, I feel like that's a bit in uh, High Fidelity where Jack Black kind of yes. keeps rattling yes. through the name of his bands and it's sort of a fairly common thing. So that was it though for, for real. And so Ferguson says that Capaldi had the most commanding stage presence that, that he's ever seen. Um, and I can imagine that about a young Peter Capaldi. I bet he was probably dressed all in black and mm. um, really intense eyes, as you know. And then at the end, they said that it would be their last show because they couldn't find a permanent drummer. And Ferguson played drums. So his girlfriend, who I think had had a bit of the whiskey at the time, <laughs> after the band, they kind of went up and approached. And, and Craig was like, I think, you're, I, think you're really, I think you're really talented. I think you're really good. <laughs> and the girlfriend was a little bit gobby and, and sort of was like, this guy's a great drummer. He's, he's going to be really good for you. Uh, so he joined the band and at that point became firm friends with Capaldi. And they've been pretty much best friends ever since that's great wow that's cool yeah which which i didn't know um how tight they were i knew that they knew each other but not to certainly not to that extent um so he said that capaldi was a star uh because for one thing he was wearing eyeliner which i just think is <laughs> hilarious um and johnny i think you alluded to capaldi during your glasgow school of art episode or the charles Rennie mcintosh one because they all the people then in his social group after this were basically from the Glasgow School of Art because Capaldi went there and all his friends went there. So he kind of got jettisoned into this trendy uh, West End art school scene, which I know that you sort of see yourself Except as the, the art Capaldi. School's not in the West End, it's in the centre of town. Whatever. But he's talking about the scene, he's not talking about the geography. It's the <laughs> right, West okay. End scene yeah. that is part of the yeah. centre. I get it, I get what you're saying. West End scene. If you're, gonna be, if you're going to be a smart ass about it, Johnny, <laughs> he then went and worked in the ubiquitous chip as a as a barman and stuff. Oh, well, that's so certainly just, West End scene right there. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Uh, it's also uh, like doing a, a ten minute walk away from each other as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a big difference I mean, in Glasgow. It's a small place. I know it's so, a big difference. That is a. 10-minute walk in New York is just nothing, whereas 10-minute walk in Glasgow, you're like, oh. It's a big difference between Soaky Hill Street and uh, Ashton Lane. That's true. It's very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. But which one um, houses the Charles Rocky McIntosh tea, <laughs> tea room? Let's not get into this again. Oh, yeah. The mums are going to be mad. Where is it? <laughs> it's Soaky Hill Street. Do you know what? I'm glad that art school burned down. <laughs> 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 You'll deserve what you got, Johnny. <laughs> all, proce- all proceeds from this episode are going to go to um, the 
the fund for the rebuilding of the art school. It's like Johnny proclaiming last week that Greyfriars Bobby was hanged. <laughs> that was shocking. Was shocking to, to edit. He'll burn. Oh, no, sorry. Burned. That was me. That was yeah, me. Then burned. Johnny said he was burned. Yeah. Like, anyway, um, so... How do you think uh, it's gone so far? Moving, moving, <laughs> moving swiftly on. Again, he's got this great turn of phrase in his book, and I highly recommend that you read it uh, or, or listen to it. But he compares Glasgow in the 1980s to Moscow, and it's because he says Glasgow's image of a violent and working-class town is only true in part. It's also an extremely literate and artistic city. And he compares it to Moscow because of the cold, the vodka, the misery, the literature and ballet, <laughs> depression and violence, music, art and humour all combine into a very familiar recipe. Which I think sums up Glasgow pretty well. Yeah, uh, and I think Glasgow kind of drives him insane as well. Just yeah. you can sort of see that he he slowly gets driven mad by the drink, uh, which you know really does take hold of him and is and and destroys him. And then I guess moving to California saves him. To some, but that's moving that's moving on a bit. So he credits Capaldi basically for kind of starting. Uh, his love of comedy because Capaldi was a devotee of US stand-up comedy at the time and he and he credits Capaldi for having more influence on him than than anybody any other person in his career they they also performed uh, this drag act and Capaldi was the guy that came up with the name Bing Hitler which is the name that Ferguson then uses later on in life to kind of launch his stand-up career but Capaldi was the one that had that name and originally went by the name Bing Hitler and and Ferguson just stole it from him and didn't didn't tell him. <laughs> I was hoping you would explain because I I know that Bing Hitler is associated with Ferguson, but I never knew why. What the background to it? Yeah. Is. So is this what this was their drag name? Yeah, it was Capaldi's drag name, and Ferguson's <laughs> name was Nico Fulton, which was a nod in part to the uh, Scottish comedian Ricky Fulton. The Bing Hitler thing comes slightly later, but in between that, he. Uh, ends up marrying his first wife Anne in 1983. After you know, he basically moved in as as her flatmate, and it was kind of serendipitous. Met in the street, Capaldi, I think, was the one that introduced them, and they married after six months. Um, and they both shared a love of America, so decided to head there. Both families thought it was going to never last because he was 21 at the time, she was 26, and they basically pegged him as a drunk and knew that. You know, she was going to be unhappy, and he was just a—he was just an idiot. Yeah. Just had a lot of growing up to do. And what was he? Sorry, what uh, was he the, trying to do? Was he trying to be a rock star? Well, was he trying to be an actor? Yeah, yeah. He was kind of—he was—he was. I think he was just trying to be a a rock star at that point, right? But but at the but the move to America, I think it was just I want to move to America. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go and experience sure. it. They didn't really have a plan. Um, much like you guys, they moved on a tourist visa that uh, ran out very quickly, and what? they were. Uh, they were... <laughs> you are also <laughs> Scottish. You also came here on a visa. Uh, let's let's move on swiftly. Uh... <laughs> it's happening. So, yeah, he um, he moves uh, age twenty one uh, to to New York, they get this tiny pokey little apartment uh, and they kind of get odd jobs. He sort of ends up working construction in Harlem randomly Mm. um, and also apparently works as a bouncer for like two nights at this uh, famous uh, club. um, He's famously like very muscly and and broad (laughs) and has a physique for being a construction worker bouncer. 
Well, yes and no. He's not obviously a big dude, but I think he's probably taller than you think he is. But he's also a crazy Scotsman who I think was quite happy to get in fights with right. people. Yes. Was constantly drunk and was was constantly on drugs at the time as well. Right. And New York sort of introduced him to cocaine at that point also, um, which he dis- which he drugs. noticed actually improved his hangover quite uh, <laughs> quite a lot. So it helped. Um, so the miracle cure you know <laughs> cocaine yeah <laughs> it's a who cares a hell you of a drug know my life <laughs> <laughs> i mean iron brew is the cocaine of scotland in many ways so yes yeah he he also credits iron brew as being a hell of a hangover in his book as well yeah. um and sort of describes it as a kind of maple syrup type drink it doesn't really do it justice i think um, but yeah, um, cocaine for him is gets gets two thumbs up in his review. <laughs> not a big fan of heroin. He's not. He, he doesn't like that so much. Yeah, he kind of is in New York for about a year. The money starts to kind of dry up a bit, and you know they're they're burning they're burning through money. They're 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 just in a druggy scene really, and the marriage isn't going anywhere. Uh, basically, because he's a complete piss artist and is just pissing his life away. Uh, hanging out with some awful people um, at the time, and um, yeah, it, eventually they decide to to move back to Scotland. I think I think his marriage has basically fallen apart by this point, but they right. I think they give it kind of a final attempt to you know to save it, but it it just doesn't really it doesn't really happen. Um, but when he's starting out in comedy, uh, he they kind of they people kind of start to realize he's actually quite funny. And I think he speaks to some people back when he gets back and they suggest that someone suggests that he goes uh, to the um, Tron theater, mm. uh, which was doing uh, a version of the gong show at the time, which gong show I think is famous to Americans over here. And um, you know, you go on and you do your bit and if they like you, they cheer you. And if they think you're crap, then they gong Don't you off. Gone. So that is when he creates this bing hitler character right uh the, the name that he steals from capaldi and the the idea behind bing hitler is scotland apparently at that time ha- was kind of full of these folksy people that were kind of puritan holier than thou and would tell you you know why you were going to burn in hell and uh why everything was kind of wrong with you uh things like that uh, so he wanted to kind of do a send-up of this so I'm just going to share my screen again and show you a little bit of uh, his routine for how violent, uh, <laughs> how violent and angry he is. This is fascinating. This kind of this this is basically what kind of launches him into success. That's a pavilion. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Jim Nick Nick Davidson. Stan, the Germans, Boardman. Bing, handsome beast, Hitler. It's so young. Oh, no. Yes, that's right, fanatical disciples. Bing, shut up. Bing, handsome beast, Hitler. This is so bizarre. Come here tonight and have a wee chat about something. Guess what? Yes, that's right. Things I hate! <laughs> yeah it's so odd seeing him like so young a bit yeah. like young like you said fat. a bit chubby uh yeah. yeah for the record i used to my my entire family have worked in that theater myself included 
which is well, also odd there to see. You go. Yeah. Now uh, that uh, that clip, I think, um, was slightly later on in his success. I think that was 1987. He first performed it in Glasgow, but it, he he kind of hit the jackpot at the 1986 Edinburgh Fringe Festival, mm. which again is what we've been talking about. It was just one of those tiny little shows that had a few people in the first couple nights, and then it just gained momentum, word of mouth type thing, as we've talked about before on the Fringe. And it became, I think, you know, the underground hit of that year. So that sort of propels him into good Scottish entertainment circles and and, and in British entertainment I can see it's got like a feel of um, Bottom, The Young Ones, Spitting Image, all all that sort of stuff. I I can see why it was popular. That kind of edgy alternative comedy, which I don't, which I think was being done by the likes of Rick Mayall and Adrian Edmondson in England, but there wasn't really much of that being done in Scotland. So he does start to get noticed. He starts, you know, being somewhat successful, making appearances in, you know, shows like Red Dwarf, things like that. Really? Um, Couple. It just is a just in passing, like I mean, just kind of literally one episode type things, and you know, uh, making pilots and stuff. And he tours actually uh, with with Harry Enfield for a little while. Harry Enfield Mm. and Charlie Higson and Paul Whitehouse. um, First as kind of, you know, a double booking thing when Harry Enfield was the Stavros character. But then Harry Enfield eventually goes on, as you guys know, becomes super uh, popular with the Loads of Money character and I think Smashy and Nicey and stuff as well. And Ferguson kind of gets relegated to that supporting character and is apparently very bitter about it and again it's because all he's doing all the time is just getting wasted drunk and he's a mess and everybody's getting drunk at the time but he's you know he says that he regularly wet the bed until he was 29 uh, because he was just so drunk all the time it's really kind of depressing uh, the amount and you know he tells stories about how he was going to go home for Christmas and things like that. And he ends up drinking with his buddies at the ubiquitous chip and passes out on like a mattress in the attic above and misses Christmas. And that's, um, that's miserable. That's actually the moment where he, he decides that he's gone too far and he can't drink. He, he He just doesn't want to do this anymore after he misses Christmas and he thinks he's going to kill himself. And as he's going to get, you know, go out the door and kill himself his mate, who he's got drunk with b- before, had passed out in the bar downstairs, was already back up drinking again. And like, <laughs> oh, he's like, oh, what are you doing, Jesus. Craig? It's like, oh, nothing. I'm just going for a walk. And he goes, and he's like, all right, well, have a sherry with me. And he like pours him a half pint of sherry. Oh. And, you know, it's just this dis- constant destructive behavior. I think by this point, he's married to his second wife, who is also quite friendly with the... English comedy jet set, you know, Richard Curtis and Angus Deaton and things like that. And he feels like this outsider because they're all funny and they all went to Oxbridge and, you know, he's just got this massive chip on his shoulder and he's just a mess. But he eventually decides that he he does need help and he goes and gets that help and he, and he dries out, I think in 1992 and, and it, and it takes, you know, he's successful. I don't know how long it takes uh, for him to do it, but I think it's over a period of a few weeks. And he says he hasn't touched a drink since uh, mm. 1992, wow. I believe. Incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I he certainly doesn't say that he relapses at any point. So you know, you gotta gotta give him credit. This is the third Scottish celebrity that we've done that has had problems with drink or drugs and then had to dry out. 
It was, it's him, it's Billy Conley, and it's Jerry B. Yeah, I mean, look, we all know that Scottish people have a certain prevalence uh, for alcohol, and it's a, it, it's a stereotype, but it's a stereotype for a reason. Yeah, um, I guess. And, you know, it, it it can it can take a hold of you, and um, and Craig realized that and managed to, to fix that, and he gets out, uh, he's performing again. I think he's still doing Bing Hitler, although I think by that point it's time to start getting some other characters and, you know, um, and he gets spotted by an agent called Rick Siegel, uh, who uh, actually, you know, goes up to him and says he's funnier, thinner and more reliable when he's sober. Mm. And he's actually quite good at writing down jokes and stuff now rather than just kind of winging it. And he suggests that he goes to L.A., and uh, he wants to get him over there for pilot season. And I didn't know that they did this for pilot season in LA, but apparently you can just sign a contract with um, studio. And I think he signed his with Disney and you just get like 50 grand to go out there for sort of three months and go and audition as much as you can. Yeah. I mean, basically so far, everything that you said about his career, his lifestyle, especially his character being Hitler makes complete sense that he would sign for Disney. So <laughs> all checks out. <laughs> What I I, I can't I, I I I can't explain it. I don't know why. I mean, Disney owns ABC. Is it because Walt Disney is such a fan of Hitler? That could be it. Go that could be it. Go to Rorschan.org.uk <laughs> if you want to read more about that. That's not yeah. true. Um, I don't allegedly. Yeah. Alleg- they're very litigious. <laughs> I can't believe they drew the. Craig Ferguson episode's going to be the one that's going to take us down. down. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Um, How's the podcast going, boys? Well, um, uh, (laughs) we're being sued by Disney. (laughs) Johnny lost power and then Rory accused uh, Walt Disney of being a Nazi. Uh, Allegedly. Not a Nazi, sorry, just a Hitler lover. Allegedly. 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 It's satire. It's satire. It's fine. Don't sue us. Um, so <laughs> he goes and he manages for some somehow. I don't understand how this happens, but he gets a role in a Marie Osmond show. Um, and if you know anything about Donnie and Marie Osmond, they're Mormon. Oh yes, um, yes, yeah. And it's called Maybe This Time. I I don't remember this show ever. I think it was on maybe for six episodes. Uh, and he said, like, the Mormons were always kind of trying to, they were very nice, very nice, but they were always kind of trying to save him and just kind of make sure that he was okay. Um, and he said Marie Osmond was lovely, uh, but and Betty White was on that show, and him and Betty White have remained very uh, good friends since then. And she's apparently was on his talk show, like, once a month, basically. Uh, oh, and he incredible. just loves her and has this great chemistry with her. Um but he's only there for like six episodes. And again, he kind of keeps getting in his own way because in the UK, he says that actors on comedy shows are kind of treated as collaborators and he would always try mm. and give his ideas. But in the US, the writers don't like that. And, um, you know, any sort of feedback is seen as, uh, you know, a threat. And you've got that writer's room of 10 people that yeah. you always hear. So he, he, he got out of it. He quit. Uh, he just couldn't do it anymore, and you know he. Uh, th- this is when he kind of tries his hand at script writing, and actually has a little bit of success by getting a couple films that are 
that are that are made. Uh, a couple of them are sort of cult classics, really. Um, I don't know, Rory, if you had a chance to watch any of them in the end. Or uh, you said you were maybe yes, yes. Gonna... I watched one that he wrote and directed. Uh, I'll be there. Uh, it's a two thousand three film. Are they are they comedies? Yes. Are they actual comedies? Yeah, so the mo- the most successful one is um, Saving Grace, uh, which right. um, I've I've not seen, but that becomes a bit of a cult classic in the US. Apparently, none of his films do well in the UK. Again, it's I don't know why he's more successful in the US than he is the UK. Well, Maybe they just find him charming. He then wrote, wrote one called the uh, the Big Tease, which is about a hairdresser that I think moves to the US and finds success. That looked weird. I, I saw seen that movie? I saw a trailer for it. I saw some posters. It looked weird. Apparently it's good, but yeah. I don't trust it. I remember when that movie came out and I was kind of confused by the, the whole scenario. <laughs> yeah. And then he he does this one, which is his directorial debut. What uh, would you say it was called, Rory? I'll Be There. I think based on yeah, the, I'll be there. the song. I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, he explains that that wasn't the original title for his film and right. bas- the, the producers all come in and change everything and he's just so, fed up. So he just, and- m- maybe, and this I, I would be really interested to hear what you say. Maybe I can talk about watching it and what I saw and then you can explain what he says about it because sure, I wouldn't be surprised if he has some opinions. But like, yeah, so he wrote, <laughs> directed and starred in it. It also is starring Charlotte Church, who, for those of you who don't know, was this child prodigy back in Britain in the sort of late 90s, early noughties. She's a singer. She's she's lovely, incredible voice. Um, Charlotte Church, did you say? The Welsh? She's yes, Welsh, right? Yeah. The, the, the Welsh <laughs> yeah. singer, exactly. And the yeah. film is very Welsh. It's set in a Welsh village. There's a lot of, I mean, you know, Charlotte Church, I mean, (laughs) just lovely, but it's so bizarre. So the the, basically the premise, the story is really, really simple. uh, There's this rock star who is kind of throwing away his life and then he finds out that he's got this teenage daughter. He's playing the rock star. Charlotte Church is playing the daughter. And then, lo and behold, she's a really good singer and how he kind of turns his life around because of it. And it's fairly pedestrian and it's weirdly somber at times and fairly dramatic, but there is a lot of kind of zany comedy and um, like almost like pratfall kind of comedy. But he, he's in it. He wrote it and he's in it. He stars it. He he's wrote and directed it. Yes. Right. And stars right. in it. That what he says, I can't remember what he said the original title was for the film, but he also says that he wasn't allowed to cast the, the actress that he wanted. And for some reason, the studio thought it'd be a great idea to get Charlotte Church to do it, even though she had <laughs> zero acting experience. I guess maybe they wanted Charlotte Church to kind of go become big mm-hmm. in the US. Also, at what That's point in her reason. career was it? Because she had that funny thing where she was basically a classical singer, right? And then she yes. tried to sort of pivot to pop. <laughs> And it so was that's, like, I think this awkward was transition. right at that cusp because she's a teenager. She's a, a young teenager. And a lot it's, of it's the It's that singing. exact year. That the film comes out in 2003 and she's like, does the classical thing until 2002. And then she right. tries go, and then. does the, uh, yeah. That makes a lot of exactly sense. exactly that. Because yeah. she does a lot of singing that is very classical, very Charlotte Churchy. But then there's also moments where they're, 
kind of singing poppy song. It's it's so such a fucking weird song. If they just it's movie, if they just committed to doing almost like a musical, like a pop anthology, like a what's it called? Um, what's the Grease one? Not the well, Grease one. Oh my Greece. god! Greece. No, 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 that's the Greece one. But yeah, Abba, Abba, the one with Abba. Oh, Mamma Mia! Uh, Mamma Mia. Mia! Yes, if they did kind of a Mamma Mia style thing, if the story was more from <laughs> based on the, based on the songs of Charlotte Church, I don't know. You'd have to pick some <laughs> band. It's just that there's a lot of like really. If they just done the film Mamma Mia, that yes, would yes, <laughs> they're just bad jokes. And there's also the fact that it doesn't age. There's a lot of like awkward kind of like gay jokes now and weird references to everybody's nationality because he's Scottish as an Australian character. A bunch of people are Welsh. And so it's just a lot of like, oh, well, that's what Welsh people do kind of stuff. It's it's not bad. And I didn't dislike it. It was just, it, it, it's one of those things where you watch it. Like there is a good and fun movie in here. You just miss the mark. And yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that's exactly what happens. And and I think I get that impression with kind of all three films that he he makes. But what did he say about this film? He kind of said that he said he wasn't really allowed to make the film that he wanted to make, and that was his right. directorial debut, and really sort of left a sour taste in his mouth when it came to directing. He subsequently ends up writing a novel after this because he realizes he can kind of have full control with the novel. It's quite cool. Yeah, and the book is called uh, Between the Bridge and the River, and uh, the reason it's kind of a dark reason for why it's called that. But he said it's because he, I think either he or his friend asked the priest, uh, "If you commit suicide, are all are all suicides, you know, going to go to hell?" And the um, priest said, "Well, no, not all of them, because if you say you jumped off of." a bridge and then repented all your sins before you hit the water uh then she would be absolved and you would go to heaven so that's what he's called the the, the book which is wow. pretty heavy really oh my god i made a terrible mistake i'm so sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> oh, yeah i mean and considering you know he's thought about killing himself a couple yeah. times and things like that and is uh, he is he catholic yeah. No, he says he's he's fairly agnostic and another thing that comes in the book is Part of the reason that he hated school was because the Protestant and the Catholicism, you know, just uh, beating up other kids because you're a Protestant or vice versa. The fun of growing up in Glasgow. And part, yeah, exactly. Part of the problem of growing up in Glasgow, especially in the working class areas, you would just get the shit kicked out if you, you you know, walk down the wrong street, basically. And that's also, I think, partly why he's a Partick Thistle fat. Yeah. (laughs) No one one gets beaten up for that. (laughs) exactly yeah why am i done the united fan (laughs) so i'm just confused at his trajectory he seems to does he just fall into things because he was like being a bit of a comedian he obviously being hitler was a big deal he was coming up he sobered up a little bit and was he just like like they saw him as a good writer um and that's why he was able to make these films i think he i think they saw him as a bit of a charming bastard right and which he uh, is. That's how he kind of he kind of got plucked to go to America in the first place. And all the while he was kind of auditioning for things, but not necessarily getting anywhere. He's writing these screenplays, um, teaming up with people, you know, getting some seed money and things like that. And yeah, it's like long hard graft. It's got not it. like he's just kind of falling into things. It's just that he 
he might once he starts getting a little bit of name recognition then he can sort of start getting the films done and things of that nature but he's still he's still a relatively you know he's not like a big time name or anything no. like that um, but he, he's hustling he's but he, like working he's hustling you know he's doing he's doing what he can but yeah. and he's making a bit of money but you know as he says he's also heavily in debt from his alcoholic days and he's paying people off there and and all that mm. jazz um but his big break then comes on the Drew Carey show, uh, where he appears as uh, the the boss, uh, Mister Wick, um, who basically plays an English buffoon, as he puts it, makes up for generations of English actors doing crap Scottish accents. <laughs> um, so I never watched the Drew Carey show. I don't know if you guys did, um, no. but I've got no. a little bit again of. A clip from the show. Love it. Just so you can kind of hear it because it's not really my cup of tea, this, but uh, okay. And you can just kind of hear how bad his accent is. This all drew Carey nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I never had a chance to thank you properly for liberating me from Mimi's apartment. Oh, you're, you're welcome, sir. I just wish I could have got there before she bathed you. <laughs> the baths weren't so bad. It's the shaving that bothered me. <laughs> anyway, that's all in the past. I have to live my life one day at a time now, the way God gave it to us. At least that's what the puppet told me at the crisis yes. center. <laughs> yes. Not exactly my yeah. type of humor. Um, but he's on that show for years, and he's like a main fixture of it. And this, becomes... the show is huge, right? Drew, Drew Carey's show is massive over here. Yeah, it was a big it was a big deal when it happened. I don't recall watching more than like one or two episodes uh, of it. Yeah. But yeah, you know, he was main. Again, though... He doesn't like it because he doesn't get control of the writing and he butts heads with the writers and stuff like that. It's a common theme here. Yeah. As you can tell, it's these creatives that... It's a Charles Rennie Macintosh type <laughs> that he wants basically full control of what he does. Again, he's kind of mulling... Rory, again, you make a good point, Rory. He's just kind of mulling about not really doing much and keeping keeps sort of falling up. And he gets... His agent sort of says... Oh, Craig Kilborn, uh, who was at the time the late late show host, and I think was the first ever Daily Show host as well, mm. before John Stewart took it over. Craig Kilborn quits his show, and Ferguson, for some reason, is in the running for it. I guess the guy that kind of is the producer for David Letterman's uh, company sees him on, you know, Letterman's show and Conan O'Brien's show, thinks that he's kind of got something there, and he is one of multiple people who does guest shows for a couple days and he gets into a kind of a final four with a couple big names at the time. Um, DL Hewley was one. Um, and Michael Ian Black was another guy uh, yeah. who was very popular uh, at the time. And he was kind of seen as a bit of a long shot, but he ends up getting this gig. Because of his beautiful Scottish accent. Well, it's because I think he is just incredibly charming and yeah. he's really flirtatious with women <laughs> to the extent where now if he did it on TV, it would probably be inappropriate, but they all just seem to love it. And it's just because he's so cheeky, this, I guess. I So, uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I want to give my opinion of him now. Like, he is... I don't find him particularly funny, and I don't mean... I'm not saying he's not he's not funny. I do laugh at a lot of what he does. But a lot of the time when I've seen him doing things and appearing, and it's kind of what I was referring to earlier, 
I, I, and maybe it's a jealousy of a Scottishman doing so well in America. I, I don't see him being this incredible talent. But what I do find is that he's so likable. Uh, every interview that I've seen, and I watched a bit of his, he does this like documentary about him touring around. You might talk about it later. And he seems like you keep on saying like very charming. He's got this incredible energy. And even although he might not be the funniest person on the planet or the best actor or the best writer, I don't know. I've never read any of his stuff, but I, I completely agree with you. It's just like, I do find him compelling and I keep going back to like, Oh, maybe I'll just watch one more episode of this documentary <laughs> with him. Cause he's just a nice person to watch do his thing. It's also like, I do feel like he's fine. The- Getting into that late night gig is like the the perfect thing for him because it's yeah. it's funny knowing him. Like I sort of know him from that. Really, I didn't know all the early stuff. And actually, looking back, you're like I can sort of get why it didn't quite jive as like an actor, maybe. But suddenly, when he's got interaction with people, or he's like responding to things on the spot, or he's like interacting with the audience, like you can see he totally thrives in that. And he's so yeah. quick, and he's super charming, and he's like very friendly with. Or seemingly very friendly with everyone he interacts with. It's like the, you can kind of get why he works well in that um, yeah. scenario. Yeah, a, a lot of his stand-up that I saw was just a lot of like, oh, that's the type of joke I would make as well. Mm. Just like, and that's what I, <laughs> that's what I mean when it's like he's. I don't think he's overtly funny. I think he is funny. <laughs> Rory, you are, Rory, you are funny. You are. Funny. But it's just like he tells us really bad, and the show I was watching he tells us really bad David Bowie joke. Um, that I'm not going to repeat because I'll, I'll ruin it. But it's uh, it's just a bad pun, basically. And I'm like, that's that's a solid joke. And he finishes it by going like, <laughs> that's a good joke. That is a good joke. Everybody should be laughing at this because it's a good joke. It's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, I think uh, for the first couple of years of the show, he kind of flounders because he does what all the other late night shows do, which is they, they all try and imitate Johnny Carson. Yeah. So they all do the monologue at the beginning with the tie and they tell the stilted jokes with different, with the writer's team. And then they interview two people with like very set questions of like, so what movie are you promoting? And he does do that, but he has this turning point where basically uh, his dad dies and the episode he de- he dedicates to his dad. And it's kind of like a wake mm. and, he does away with all the notes at the beginning. He talks to the camera much closer. If you look at his monologues, he is he talks in much closer after this. And he speaks from the heart and he just riffs and he's much better at just ad-libbing and talking nonsense mm. and just like laughing at his own jokes. Yeah, yeah. When he kind of says something slightly inappropriate, which we're all guilty of laughing at our own jokes as well. Then he quite dramatically when he has guests on he has the cars and he deliberately rips them up and throws them away and if you watch his interviews they they they're never they're never about like the film or anything like that it's just all nonsense and he it's very chaotic show it's very chaotic i don't particularly like the the late night shows i think they're a bit naff and a bit yeah Cookie cut, not cookie cutter is the wrong thing, but it's the same thing. It's just a different person. If you if you don't like the person, then there's no point watching it. And I don't really care for celebrity interviews. But 
the the little that I've seen of Craig Ferguson stuff to Johnny to your point, it's so chaotic. It's so different. It's just it's totally mad. I, it's funny because I'm with you. Like I I've never really watched the the late night shows live. Like we didn't grow up with that in the same yeah. way as I think yeah. you do in America. And so most of what I've seen of it is like clips on YouTube of stuff over the years. And actually, I sort of discovered him a bit through that. And so it was just like moments of the show. And the bit I did like about it was it is just like madness it's like there's a there's a weird horse and there's a robot and the interviews don't really they're not really about anything and it's sort of completely anti what the structure of all those other shows are where it is like chris was saying it's like you do the monologue you have your sidekick you do the interview you have a little bit and then it's the end and and i say the one thing i'm like respect him for like breaking that a bit you know yeah he does that even his sidekick is uh i showed you that video at the very beginning like that was the introduction of his uh robot sidekick jeffrey peterson <laughs> uh who is just this guy that was made this thing that was made by like one of the mythbusters guys um who was a big fan of the show and he was banging on about how he needed a robot sidekick and that's kind of how i almost discovered craig ferguson because he does those stupid monologue like singing monologues at the beginning and he's got about a half dozen of them, and they're just so funny. Every single one of them is just so silly. Yeah. There, that's my favorite one that I showed you at the beginning. He does a fantastic Doctor Who one. Uh, like he celebrates when Doctor Who came back, and Matt Smith was made the Doctor, which yeah. was before Peter Capaldi, and has him on the show, and the, and he starts ranting about how they couldn't get clearance for the show for, for the song and stuff in it, and he just swears a whole bunch, and then it, and then like there's this bit that goes so yeah, it turns out that that cold open was leaked on the internet, which I was really furious about, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's just funny, it's just you know it's fairly harmless, but cheeky, and it's he's always kind of winking into the camera, I think, um, and actually he ends he ends up getting some success because he does. He's up against Conan O'Brien at that point, and and he ends up taking over or overtaking Conan in the ratings, which I didn't realize wow. he did. And he was actually ahead of Jimmy Fallon for a little while when Fallon took over Conan's show. Although, as we all know, Fallon then went on and became terrible, you know, as terrible big, as he's always been. Well, everybody everybody loved Fallon until he rubbed Donald Trump's hair. Everyone forgets that. No, he was crap in SNL as well. He couldn't get through a sketch without laughing over all of it. <laughs> I've ne- I'm, I, yes, look, but, I know a lot of people will, look, will criticize this, but I've never liked him. I continue to dislike him. <laughs> I'm I'm more or less with you there, Rory, but there was a bit at the beginning of his talk show when he was doing pretty well, and I think the lip sync challenge was popular in particular. Isn't that Ballon, famously uh, stolen from somebody else as well? Probably. Probably. Isn't everything stolen from everybody? Isn't time but a flat circle? <laughs> <laughs> All right, <Yeah>. Satra. <laughs> Yeah, so after all that, he kind of does the show. But while until uh, sorry, while we're talking about his stand-up thing, and I think it's prevalent right now. His his clip of him talking. I don't, and maybe you're going to mention this, but it's him. His clip of him talking about sorry, not stand-up, but his late show. But the clip of him talking about Britney Spears has become viral again with her being in the courts. Yeah. That's a good point, Rory. I wasn't going to bring that up, but thanks for reminding me. Um, it's particularly prevalent, though, now that you mention it in the news. Um, British Spears conservative ship and and that's conservatorship, sorry, uh, where she's spoken out recently. And Ferguson 
I think part, uh, you know, he kind of went viral for his comments back in the day where he said, I don't want to make fun of Britney Spears on this show. Uh, this was, I think, around about the time that she shaved her head. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I can't remember if she got sectioned or she had to go to a, a rehab or a hospital or something at that point. What, the point being that she was obviously seriously dealing with stuff and, and that's how she ended up under the conservative conservatorship mm-hmm. uh, today uh, that she's still under. And Ferguson was one of the very few people there. It's like, look, I know... I understand mental issues and addiction problems mm-hmm. and and all that and I'm not going to make fun of her on this show because this show is supposed to be uh celebrating, you know, happiness and joyful and and I'm not going to kick someone when they're down. Yeah. And he's really the only one at the time, you know, everybody hounded her at the time. Um and all these old clips come out now and now everybody's like, "Oh, isn't she so such a tragic figure?" But I remember very well everyone was just yeah, it was it was exactly yeah, that. For like, you can look at all the clips at the time of all the other late show hosts taking the piss and making fun of her and having her breakdown. Um, but he was the one during his monologue, and he would stand up and say, "Like, no, we're not going to do this. This is not what I do. I I don't think it's right. She, this this wee girl's having a breakdown, and we shouldn't be laughing at her." And it's just, yeah, like you said, it's it's gone viral again, and um. I think for a kind of good reason, but it just kind of shows yeah. how he's willing to break the mold and do his own thing, regardless of what maybe his writers are telling him to say or what everybody else is doing in that same slot. Which I think is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Rory. I, I must confess that slipped my mind. Um, and yeah, I think that is one of the, I, I, it is one of those, I find with Craig Ferguson for years, I've, I've always got lost in YouTube just looking up his clips. Um, uh, I just, I, I find them quite infectious. I just really enjoy them. I think he's very funny. And one thing I wanted to mention about his show before uh, kind of wrapping it up, uh, which he mentions in the book, and I didn't know he did this, but, you know, just to get back to the beginning of this episode, he is, he is a US citizen now. And, um, at the time when he was applying for it and doing all that stuff, he kind of made it this running bit uh, on the show that um, he was trying to get honorary citizenships from various cities and things like that, because it was like, if I can get honorary citizenship, then surely I can get real citizenship. And apparently he sought honorary citizenship from every single state in the US (laughs) and managed to get them from... Nebraska, Arkansas, Virginia, Montana, North Dakota, New Jersey, Tennessee, South Carolina, South Dakota, uh, Nevada, Alaska, Texas, Wyoming, Pennsylvania, and Indiana. And he was commissioned as an admiral in the tongue-in-cheek <laughs> Nebraska Navy. Amazing. Uh, That's and awesome. several, several governors, including Rick Perry and Sarah Palin at the time, I mean... uh, sent letters to him, making him an honorary citizen of his respective states. Um, and he got get made citizens of several... Um, uh, several cities. Uh, Although just, notably just, California, not on that list, where he's probably spent most of his time. I imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, good point. Good point. And maybe I don't know if that's a complete list, but uh, yeah, I just thought that was a great bit. And then eventually, of course, he uh, he becomes an American citizen in two thousand and eight, and he broadcasts the taking of his citizenship test as well as his swearing in on the Late Late Show, which again I think is just a lovely. Um, lovely uh part of, of the show and, and at the end of the book he, he talks about 
going back to Scotland to see his uh, mum before she dies. Uh, she'd been kind of battling cancer for a long time, and after his dad died, obviously, she just wasn't the same. She passes away, and, and he starts walking in the West End, which is where the Glasgow School of Art is. Uh, <laughs> and Stone he, throw away. He's walking up, he's walking up Great Western Road, and some <laughs> Scottish guy goes up to him as like one of these ruddy-faced little Scottish men with uh, ears that are too red, and he's, he's off to the pub after, but he's like, Oh, you're that uh, Craig boy, aren't you? <laughs> like, yes, I am. And he'd remembered him from back in the day. I think he was in the same parish as him or something like that. Jesus. It's like, uh, and remembered him as this tearaway. And he's like, so uh, you're American now? Like, yes. <laughs> uh, well, you still look Scottish to me. It's a Glasgow conversation, isn't it? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Ah, Craigie boy. So how's it going in America? Yeah. <laughs> ah, Mr. Big Shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know that he, he then finishes the show in like 2014 and sadly James Corden takes over the show. Mm. And the less said about James Corden, the better. Yeah. Um, I saw a quote of him saying along the lines of like, he spent his entire time just kind of worrying about, like you said, growing up chubby, worrying about like the way he looked and the his accent. And then the moment he quits, they replace him with this like fat guy with an even worse accent than he's <laughs> ever had. And he's just like, come on. Yeah. This guy. Yeah. This guy. This guy. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, you know, he then, he, he's, he's done a couple of other shows since then. I think he, Rory, you said he does a documentary. Uh, yeah, I know he's done a couple of quiz shows and things like that. I confess, I I haven't really looked into them. I just know he's done them, and I'm I'm not too. Didn't he do something like Wheel of Fortune or something like that? In this, I think it's the celebrity name game or celebrity dating game right, or something like yeah. that. And I think he's got some sort of history channel show as well. So the, the two I, things I think uh, he's doing right now, he's got his documentary, which is him touring, called like hobo superstar or something and it's a documentary about him touring and doing his stand-up but he's also doing i think it's called hustler which is a game show type thing where people do trivia questions and one of them is a plant and they need to figure out who the plant is but he's a host of it i think i from what i understand that's what he's doing right now that sounds about right i'm sure i saw an advert for it the other day but I don't know. There's, I've noticed there's so many new game shows on in the US now that like act proper celebrities and actors are hosting as opposed to just randos. Mm. Yeah, I just I didn't want to bother looking into them because <laughs> I I consider him as like that talk show host, and I think him kind of doing all that stuff after. I mean, fair play to him and good good luck to him, but it's like. I kind of wish he was still doing that because I just hate James Corden. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. He sa- you know? seems like a polymath, though. Like he he had that sort of initial drummer phase. He he's done stand up. Stand up. He's written his novel. He's obviously written his own autobiography. You know, as opposed to other people writing their that, that person's autobiography. Um, and uh you know he's done the stand-up he's done the movie i mean that's pretty impressive career all around in general it seems like the guy's a bit of a legend considering you know he clearly had this restless uh ambition of i guess being a bit of a burnout and a drunk and a loser Mm. uh to begin with like as you say sort of failed up in in many ways um 
and kind of I, I, I trace it all back to that Edinburgh fringe really um that seems to be how he got on the map and it just kind of went from there uh so we need to do boys. power of the Edinburgh fringe back to the fringe yeah live podcast at the fringe looking yeah. forward to it yeah, that's that's more most of what I've got to say. I, I I think the only thing I missed out really is he's he was married three times. He's currently married to his third wife. He's got two children, one from his uh, second marriage and one from his third marriage. And uh, yeah, Rory, I think you're right. He moved back to uh, the UK in 2019, supposedly. Although he is over here a lot, so he must be going back and forth for yeah for uh, for stuff. But um, yeah, that's that's all I got to say about Craig. Really, I like it. Look. I- I mean, my opinion is I didn't really have much going into this, uh, and I don't love chat the, the chat show thing. But like I said, a lot of what I watched of him over the past couple of days, he just seems you you said it multiple times, very very charming. He just seems like a nice bloke, and I, he he seems like the type of guy. As not that we should do this with him, but he seems like just the type of guy you want to go to the pub to the pub with and listen to him talk yes. for four hours yeah well, maybe... he can have a he can have a soda in line right um <laughs> yeah i i, I kind of want to go back and watch a bit more of his late show stuff his monologue well i've got one one more thing to show you guys uh johnny have you got any um any thoughts on him at all no i mean i inspired just... you to go and yeah. watch some of his stuff I, I, it does make me want to go watch more i am a big fan of the interactions with jeff peterson the robot i think they are excellent bits across the yeah. series that he's done i also think it's, it made me think it's funny that he it's one of those names in America that gets said in a funny way. You know, it's the yeah. kind of Craig versus Craig thing we haven't really talked about much. Yeah. Um, that I'll never, I'll never quite understand with Americans how they pronounce Craig. Craig. Um, Craig. So Craig. I wonder how he says it. Now. I think he says Craig. Craig. Yeah. But, so. Yeah. Craig. No, amazing. Amazing. I mean, the the talk show bit of it, I think, is clearly the highlight, and I think him in that moment, you can. He, it sort of portrays that thing that you're saying where you kind of want to hang out with him because he makes it feel like it would just be a fun conversation like his interactions with people and his stuff off the cuff and like the way he like talks to the audience it, it's very loose and but also like super charming and I think that is makes I'm sure you want to be his pal basically yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, he does say when with the woman that he ends up marrying, like I'm sure every single one in the books, like this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, and I have, and I immediately <laughs> found that. I just, I feel that there's, he's probably a kind of addicted to women as well. Um, which, you would know, would you recommend the book? Yeah, it's genuinely great. What's it called? I battered through it. It's called uh, American on Purpose, right. and uh, there was there was there was a couple moments when I was when I really related to him. Not so much the the well maybe the alcoholism I don't know, uh, but the <laughs> just his his thoughts on family and life and uh, seizing life and being adventurous and um, and mm-hmm. things like that it's it's really it's really good stuff. Yeah, he's just a he's just he's just a fascinating guy. But there's also something for me about sorry just before you finish like the, the contrast between the Hollywood part of LA, you know, this sort of rich and famous, everything very polished, all beautiful and clean versus like, and someone thriving there who's kind of from, you know, working yes. class Glasgow, basically like that contrast to me is so fascinating. And like, I, I sort of love that he's gone over there and like landed in LA and like made a thing of it. And I think that's really 
interesting story because you almost can't think of many places yeah. further apart in a way. Yeah. yeah, I'm doing being a late night talk show host is is sort of the ultimate Hollywood bullshit job, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That, uh, and you can tell with the get the guests that go on there, they just seem to have a great time. Um, I watched an interview that he did with Tina Fey the other night. And Tina Fey is one of the sharpest writers and comedy minds out there, and she was just loving it. Yeah, um, just it's hilarious. Okay, so last thing, I just as I mentioned, the Doctor Who cold open, which is just again delightful. Uh, that I will <laughs> leave you with before we sign off. And of course, he's a massive Doctor Who fan, which it just adds to his geekdom, which I just think is hilarious. Uh, so yeah, here we go. Tonight's show is a little different. Tonight's show is about a man who's not really a man. I immediately love it. But he's not really a doctor. Like Dr. Phil, but awesome. (laughs) Most people in the United States of America have not heard of him. He's just like me in that regard. Who is he? (laughs) He's the doctor. (laughs) Oh my god. This is incredible. Yeah, I also do love it. It's like he does that when no one here will really know Doctor Who. It just—it's so weird. It's he dedicates the full show to it. It's—it's it's amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I didn't even know he did all these song openings. <laughs> They're the best thing about the show, Rory. Seriously, go watch them. Yeah. <laughs> did he at least have Peter Capaldi on at some point to talk about being um, Doctor Who or they don't, they're not friends I since he stole, stole I'm being not sure. I don't know if no they are still friends but I don't know if Capaldi would, I think the show might have been over by the time Capaldi became Doctor Who I'm not right. sure be an ironic this is brilliant (laughs) there you go I encourage you all go watch go watch more of those they're very funny Uh, there's also a very good Jason Mraz uh, cold open um so yeah that's uh that's craig ferguson boys oh i love it absolutely love it um you want to take us out uh yeah i guess with that this will do lads this will do nicely you know you say thistle instead of thistle with that thistle do lads thistle do nicely thistle do nicely i mean it's only episode 49 say sandwich
Hello! Thanks for listening, everybody. Just a couple more things. Please don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and all other podcasting apps. You can email us at thisldonicelypod at gmail.com. Visit the website thisldonicelypod.com. Visit us on Twitter at thisldopod. All original music in this podcast is written and performed by our very own Johnny Naismith. Please like and subscribe to his YouTube channel and follow him on Instagram at J-A-W underscore K-N-E-E underscore loves hugs and kisses from the Thistle Do Nicely pod.